Today is uh, Transfiguration Sunday, and you may be wondering, what, what is Transfiguration Sunday is? And it is the Sunday before we begin the Lenten season. Ash Wednesday is Wednesday, by the way. We'll have an Ash Wednesday service, be about 45 minutes here at 7 o'clock, and you can receive your ashes here at the church. Transfiguration Sunday, this first Sunday, this last Sunday before Lent, it commemorates the revelation of Jesus' glory on the mountain. It is our text for this morning as well. And we celebrate this revelation of Christ's glory before the Passion, before the coming of the Holy Week, so that we may be, we may be strengthened to bear our cross and be, be changed into God's likeness. And as you may know, the, 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 the focus of the Lenten season, these 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday, is renewed discipline in walking in the way of the cross and, and rediscovery of our baptismal commitments. Our baptismal commitments to repudiate and renunciate evil and sin in our daily adherence to Christ. And so it is tradition that on this Sunday before Ash Wednesday that we, we read the text of Jesus being transfigured on Mount Tabor. And that is our text for today as well. With that great introduction, I forgot to tell you about the blood bank. Apparently there's nobody in the blood bank, so might be a great time to go during the sermon. I don't know. If I could go right now, it might, might make me feel better. Uh, so if you please uh, think about the blood bank this morning. We're trying to get 10 folks out there between now and, and one. Back to Transfiguration Sunday. It's all about the blood, folks. It's all about the blood. Blood of Jesus. The donation of blood. Jesus being transformed. Luke 9, verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said these things, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes flashed white like lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, were talking with him. And they were clothed with heavenly splendor and spoke about Jesus' departure. This departure which he would achieve in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were almost overcome with sleep, but they managed to stay awake and saw his glory, as well as the two men with him. As the two men were about to leave Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good that we're here. We should construct three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah but he didn't know what he was saying. Peter was still speaking when a cloud overshadowed them, and as they entered the cloud, they were overcome with awe. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Even as the voice spoke, Jesus was found alone. They were speechless, and at, at the time told no one what they had seen. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few things as I was reading this text 
that jump out at me is this idea we've been looking at in the series Illuminate. Today is our last Sunday of Illuminate. So I've been conscious and really focused on times when light makes itself present in the text. And we're told there in the first couple of verses that Jesus was in bright white clothing and, and flashed like lightning. This set-apartness then here that comes and we find out that this is the first proclamation from God himself that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Peter and others have, have identified him as the Christ, as the Messiah, but that he is also and primarily the Son of God. The second thing that jumps out to me is, is Peter again. Peter, you know, the one who always gets the bad rap, the one who always jumps in and, and says the things that we're all thinking but we're afraid to say. Peter, that guy, he jumps in, he's, they're, they're half asleep, which kind of reminds us of the Garden of Gethsemane. They can barely stay awake. But he jumps in and he says, you know, it's good that we're here and, and we, should, we should construct three shrines. Our text says three shrines. Another translation says we should construct three houses or, or three structures or three booths. These were temporary shelters. Ever been in one of those times in your life when you've just had this mountaintop experience, this great experience with God that you don't want to leave? My wife was telling me this last time she went to the monastery we go to the Monastery of the Holy Spirit separately at least once a year. And this last time she came, it was time to leave, and, and she didn't want to go. You know, my wife, she, she, she told the, the lady who takes care of the guest house, she goes, well, is there, is there anything that I can, can I help you clean up some stuff? Cause I, and she was looking for every possible excuse not to leave that mountaintop place. She didn't want to leave that experience she had and go back into the real world. And after you don't speak for a week, it's, it's a transition going back into the real world. And, and Peter is like this too. They, he's had this mountaintop experience with, with James and John and Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. And, and in Peter's mind, let's just stay up here forever. Let's, let's, let's never go anywhere else. We'll, we'll construct some some shelters to live in. And it's just like us. We don't want to leave those, those mountaintop experiences. But even as the words are coming out of his mouth, a cloud comes and overshadows them and, and interrupts them. A voice interrupts Peter. Saying, this is my son. And more importantly, Listen to him. It's really reminiscent of, of what we looked at several weeks ago when we first started the Illuminate series with the baptismal covenant. And when Jesus was baptized and, and the voice from heaven spoke again. And now we have it as Jesus is about to turn his face towards Jerusalem, as Jesus is about to enter the time of his passion and move towards the cross in Jerusalem, God speaks again. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Do what he says. 
As I said, this is our last week of illumination, and, and I, we just look back and see where we've come from. We started back in January looking at the story of the wise men and, and how the, the light of the star drew the whole world to Jesus. Then we went to Jesus' baptism, and we, and we see how, how Jesus and us in our baptism, how we're saved in order to bring light to the world. We took a little detour and went to a wedding feast in Cana. We saw the first miracle of Jesus. And we saw where Jesus shines light into the empty places, into the empty wine vessels, but also into the empty places within our lives. Went over to Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. We saw Jesus proclaim his mission, his mission to the people on the margins. And Nazareth was proud of their hometown boy. Yes, we are the people on the margins, and we want you to come for us. But then the following Sunday, we looked at the second part of that sermon that Jesus preached in that synagogue. And, and he said, well, yes, this light is for you, but this light is also for all people. And the people of Nazareth didn't, didn't like that so much. They wanted this for themselves, not for everyone. And they tried to run him off the cliff and run him out of town. We then saw Jesus call his first disciples. This, this finding of the twelve. And we found this illumination of, of the kind of lifestyle that it takes to be a disciple. Both then in the first century and now. We talked about the blessings and the woes, the rich and the poor, and how Jesus' light levels the ground for all people. And then last week we looked at loving our enemies, this continuation of the Sermon on the Plain, and loving our enemies, how Jesus' light guides us to love in a different manner from the world. Then we've now skipped several chapters where we left off with loving our enemies in the Sermon on the Plain. After that, before we reach the, the Transfiguration, Jesus continues to teach. He continues to heal and, and continues to send out disciples. He continues then with the feeding of the 5,000 right before this Transfiguration. And then the famous statement of, take up your cross and follow me. And all these things happen. The feeding and the sending, the healing and the teaching and the taking up of our cross and following Jesus happens so that we bring glory to Jesus. That we bring glory to God, both in the first century disciples and in our 21st century disciples. Friends, this has, been a, this has been an interesting week, might be the understatement of a lifetime. We hit the trifecta here at Grace. Uh, we, had, we had the general conference results and announcements on Monday and Tuesday. You received announcements of staffing changes. And then... We also experienced a financial audit this week. So um, the trifecta of good news. By the way, the financial audit is fine. 
Everything is in order. We'll get an official report in a couple weeks. It's been a difficult week. I want to update you on what happened at General Conference. We talked about that for the last couple weeks of what was going to be proposed. And let me tell you what did actually happen. There are some things that did get passed. Westpath is the, is the organization, the agency that handles retirement of uh, clergy. Uh, they handle my retirement, and, and this church gives towards that. And they passed a petition that would uh, enable clergy who decide to leave the United Methodist Church uh, an easy exit from that to transfer those funds into a 403B or a 401K or an IRA um, to take away then the uh, responsibility from the local church to continue to pay for that pastor's pension. They also passed some resolutions saying that you know, a church that decides to leave the United Methodist Church is is responsible for the other clergy. We all carry a responsibility, and, and some folks, some actuarial people that are way smarter than I am, right now, if we don't receive any new clergy, the United Methodist Church has a responsibility, a pension responsibility to the year 2096 for clergy members and for their family members. That's a huge responsibility. So that passed, that there's a way for clergy to take their pensions, and there's also a responsibility for churches that decide to leave that they need to pay their fair share. That petition looks like it's in good order. The second thing that was passed is what they call disaffiliation. They made it a creation of a gracious exit for churches where they could leave the denomination if they didn't uh, want to follow whatever was the outcomes of the general conference. And uh, with certain requirements of paying a certain amount of apportionments and their contributions to the pension funds. This did pass, although this was, many parts of it were found to be unconstitutional by our Judicial Council, which is the equivalent of our Supreme Court. The Judicial Council will meet again at the end of April and review that again. But most likely, it hasn't changed, so it will be most likely found unconstitutional as well. But the big item that passed was what was called the Modified Traditional Plan. And the Modified Traditional Plan keeps our language that is in the Book of Discipline that, uh, that says that uh, self-avowed uh, practicing homosexuals are not able to be clergy, not be able to be licensed or ordained, and not be able to be married in the church or by a clergy member. That's the same language we've had since uh, the first part, 1972, the second part, 1984. They also tried in the modified traditional plan has some uh, increased teeth to consequences and penalties for those who don't follow the book of discipline, for, for bishops and institutions who may appoint people to committees and boards that aren't going to follow those rules. Uh, for clergy like myself, if I was to, to break the discipline in these matters and I was brought up on charges and faced a, a just judicial counsel review, the first offense would be a loss of my license, an unpaid suspension for a year, and the second would be termination of my licensing. That uh, part of the modified traditional plan 
that increases the penalties has previously been found unconstitutional and again lacking a change. The Judicial Council in the several weeks will probably find that part unconstitutional as well. So we're left really that nothing has really changed in our book of discipline much at all. But great harm has been done to many. The backbiting and the infighting that we saw in St. Louis, if you were able to see any of it or you saw clips, sadly resembled much of our political tenor right now in Washington and in other places. So I want to share a um, letter from our Bishop Carter, who is the president of the, the Council of Bishops. He wrote this on behalf of the Council of Bishops. I want to share that with you. Begins with Scripture, James 5, 13 to 16. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and, and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. To the faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, who are the people of the United Methodist Church, I read this passage of Scripture on our day of prayer in St. Louis. I then reflected on these words with the Council of Bishops on the day after the special session of the General Conference. And I share them now with you. In a time of division and challenge, with fightings and fears within and without, we are in need of healing. The healing ministry of Jesus takes pain and suffering seriously. The scripture calls for the elders of the church to pray and anoint. In the ancient traditions, anointing is about setting apart and healing, receiving power and gaining courage. Every church I have known in my life has had spiritual elders, mature spiritual leaders who care for the body, that is, the people of God called together in a place. I pray in this moment for mature spiritual leadership among the clergy and laity of our global church. I pray that we will move forward, move toward the pain and grief, and especially among our members in the LGBTQ community. James does not call us to identify the sins of one another. He calls us to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another so that we may be healed. Our mutual prayer and confession is for a larger purpose, our healing. And our healing is for an even greater purpose that we might be repairers of the breach. Through the power of the cross, and the flame of the Holy Spirit, God demonstrates his love for all. May we be a means of grace to one another in these days. The peace of the Lord, Ken Carter. So friends, we're in a difficult spot. We've caused much harm and disarray. And I wanted to say to you all that in, in the those connected to the LGBTQ community that I am 
I'm deeply sorry. I'm sorry on behalf of the church for the pain that we've caused, for the disappointment, for the feelings that I know you must have. And the same for those who may call yourselves allies as I do. We love both of these groups and we're sorry for what has come. And those of you who find yourselves maybe on the more traditional route, I want to say to you, because we are a church of a broad tent here in Grace, and we are a broad tent church globally. But I want to say to you who are traditionalists here at Grace that I love you as well. I know your hearts. Your hearts are not intent on doing harm. We are all attempting to follow Scripture in the way that we best know how. But it was, is with a great um, trepidation on my part that I want, to just, I want to share some of my feelings on this. It's been an interesting week. I'm hurting as your pastor. I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, and I'm sad. I'm hurt and, and disappointed and frustrated with United Methodist Church. This is the same very church that introduced me to Jesus and, and cultivated my faith and, and nurtured my call to ministry and, and trained me up and has given me a place to serve for the last 16 years in some wonderful, amazing churches. But I'm hurting and disappointed and sad for that global church. I'm hurting for the LGBTQ community and, and their allies. Some are, are my friends, and, and many are my colleagues and neighbors, and some are a part of this church and the global church. And they are your friends, and they're your colleagues, and they're your neighbors as well. I'm hurting for the young people inside of our church and the young people outside of our church who, frankly, don't understand why we're fighting about this. I'm hurting and disappointed for my own children because they go to school and, and their friends and neighbors and they don't understand why we're calling these persons less than in second class and not availing them to the church from the womb to the tomb. And I'm hurting for our community here in Lithia and beyond that I think the, the actions of the general conference in this last week, friends, frankly, might as well have put up a, a sign out front that says, you're not welcome. And, and that's just not, I believe, who the church is called to be. So to the LGBTQ community and, and to the allies, I, I, I want to say you are not incompatible, as our discipline says. 
You are not less than and, and, or any other phrase that sets you below another. You are valued and you are supported and you are sacred and you are worthy and you are loved. And that's the heart of your pastor as long as I'm your pastor. As I said, nothing's really changed in the discipline. But great harm was done. And I took a vow that I would uphold the discipline. And I will uphold the discipline. But this church will be a welcoming church for to worship together, to learn together, to grow together, to serve together. If you're, if you're a part of the LGBTQ community, you're welcome here. We love you, and you may remain or you may serve anywhere you would like to serve. So with all this pain and hurting and disappointment and, and frustration, where is it that I find hope? I find hope in those that scripture before the transfiguration where Jesus is teaching and healing and sending and feeding and calling us to take up our cross and to follow him in order to glorify Jesus. Several years ago, this church decided on some statements the leadership of this church several years ago came up with these statements of, of mission, vision, and values. That our mission is that we are creating a community where all people can experience God's transforming grace. And we set that on the foundation of our values that define who we are and how we will participate in community together that says all people are created with inherent worth and value and then all people are called to discover and embrace their inherent worth and value and that the church is called to create a community where all people can discover and embrace their inherent worth and value. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we will see that mission and those values lived out in this vision of making God's grace a reality to all. There's a common theme in those mission, vision, and values, friends. There's, there's five times in those statements we use the phrase, all people. I had nothing to do with the development of these. And if I'm being completely honest, when I first came, I was, it took me a little while to get my brain around it. They're a little unorthodox, especially the values, and I wasn't sure about it. But these are words that this church and this leadership has come up with, and five times we use the word all people. And friends, I think all people, in my simple mind, means all people. Young and old, rich and poor, male and female, married, divorced, single, separated, widowed, widower, and I think lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, or queer. So friends, according to what this church has said in the past, all people we're creating a community where everyone can experience, all people can experience God's transforming grace. And if we don't mean that, 
then we need to go back to the drawing board and come up with some different words. That brings me hope. That we can coexist in a place where we may disagree with one another theologically, but that we can worship together and serve together and glorify God together by serving all people. And in this year of the big serve, and we're focusing on serving in our church and in our mission, especially to our young people of the next generation. Launching things like dinner church and other fresh expressions and committing to be partners at Pinecrest Elementary School. That's what Jesus was doing before the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. And that's what Grace Community United Methodist Church is doing and will continue to do, serving all people, creating communities where all people can experience God's transforming grace. We started out this Lenten or this Epiphany series nine weeks ago. And the phrase that emerged was that we would be signals and guides. And it kept coming back and coming back that we would be signals of a beacon of light where people could see that this place, this community of faith, and you were different. And that they could come and find out what was different and you could guide them to the light and the maker of the light. And friends, we have an opportunity now for a community that is right outside our doors that the global United Methodist Church has said, you are not welcome. But we have an opportunity to say, not here. That we have open doors and open hearts and open minds. And together, we will serve God. We will teach. We will heal. We will send. We will feed. We will take up our crosses and follow Jesus in order to glorify him. So we're going to be hurting. We're grieving. That takes time. But if we're going to continue to be signals and guides and for and to Christ so that we bring him glory, we must continue to be strengthened in order to bear our cross and to be changed into his likeness. And Holy Communion is a great place to start with that. So let's prepare ourselves for the table. Friends, I know that some are sitting there and are comforted by the feelings I shared amongst grief and frustration and hurt. Some are probably guests and had no idea that we're going to air some family laundry today. For that, I'm, I'm sorry. And others may be a little frustrated with me and have a difference of opinion. And, and for all of us, I want to say, you know, let's be those mature, mature elders that the bishop spoke about. And mature folks... We work out problems together. 
We have discussions, difficult discussions over breaking bread and over a cup of coffee. And we may never see eye to eye, but I firmly and truly believe that there's a place for a church that does truly mean all people. From the most conservative to the most progressive in every person in between. And so I dream of Grace Community being that church. There's plenty of churches out there, frankly, friends, that have a different stance, but there's not many that say all people and truly mean all people. And I dream of Grace Community being that church. Even if the church, the people, not the building, but the church of the people may not 100% agree with one another, that we can agree to disagree in order to bring people to Jesus and to serve and glorify Jesus. So my door is open. I love coffee. I love food. Let's talk. Friends, would you stand for the benediction? Well, Lord, we seek you. We want to heal and to teach and to feed and to love like you love. We want to take up your cross and follow you. Lord, Nurture and strengthen us. Draw us near to you so that we may be continuing to grow as your disciples in order to bring you glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. We'll see you next week. We'll see you Wednesday, actually. <laughs>